0: Grant was too junior—he was almost right out of West Point, in the Mexican War—to earn much recognition, and he suffered in the wholesale expansion of the Union force at the beginning of the Civil War, where he was one veteran among hundreds of ambitious volunteers. It was the subsequent confusion, battlefield failures, and desperate search for leadership that brought Grant's talents to public appreciation— It is Grant's rise to the top through demonstrated brilliance on the battlefield that Mosher so well describes in this book. The breadth of Grant's incredible talent was this. He was both a brilliant battlefield commander and, as his responsibilities grew, a brilliant strategic commander. By his personal command, he was a decisive force in battle. While steering the strategic maneuvers of armies hundreds of miles distant, he ultimately crushed the opposing state, the Confederacy. Grant had an uncanny way of being present at the decisive point in battle, no matter the personal risk. He had unerringly assembled the maneuvers in battles to seize strategic victory. No one else in American history has quite done this—not Patton, not eisenhower Not Pershing, not Lee. Washington was closest, but without the compression of events caused by telegraphic communications and railroads. The Union forces were committed to reconstruction and demobilized after the war. The civilian volunteers largely returned to their private lives, and the regimental colors were furled. Only a shadow of the great force remained thirty years later. Nevertheless, Grant's leadership was transformative in shaping our army over the next century and a half, for Grant taught us how to fight, take on the enemy and don't let go, don't philosophize or intellectualize, defeat the enemy force in battle, use all arms and all means, match innovation with common sense, treat the defeated enemy with respect. And in Grant's character and conduct, Thousands of leaders have found guidance and a model for our own behavior. His stoic, imperturbable command on the battlefield is the aim of every commander, as was his moral courage, patience, and dogged, quiet loyalty to his chain of command, despite the political machinations of ambitious fellow officers. His basic, common decency and respect for others represent the essential starting point for effective leadership in a democratic society. These are the character traits most prized and most respected in the American armed forces today. In 1991, then U.S. Army Chief of Staff General Gordon Sullivan grounded his Corps of Army Generals in the character of Grant when he gave to many of us a pocket knife. The blade was inscribed... Sherman to Grant. In reference to General Sherman's famous tribute to Grant's leadership after the Battle of Shiloh, I knew wherever I was that you thought of me, and if I got in a tight place, you would come, if alive. For it was that bond between soldiers, from privates to generals, that Grant gave us. Above all. Grant had the unique combination of almost instinctive common sense in battle and superior strategic vision, without which Union victory might never have been achieved. It is to that elusive combination which every program of military leadership development ultimately aims, whether in the United States or elsewhere. It's a good recipe for success in business and in life, too. And all this from an Ordinary man, from the Midwest, a true American hero, and one of history's greatest captains. General Wesley K. Clark Introduction There are enough biographies of Ulysses S. Grant to fill a small library, and three of our most distinguished military historians have written accounts of his military career. In military history, Grant is an important figure. To the general reader, however, he is less known, and his considerable accomplishments on the battlefield are obscured by the specialist treatments that constitute the standard discourse of military historians. The aim of this book is to give the general reader an understanding of Grant's generalship, and not his presidency. The portrait of Grant that this book draws differs from other biographies in many important ways first the focus of this biography is on grant the general his strategy and legacy for this reason this biography is not limited to the civil war american history and american generals grant was a world-class strategist whose achievements left a lasting imprint on the american military and his unbroken string of victories makes him unique The best way to understand his achievements is to compare him with his peers and heirs, the other great captains of the 18th and 19th centuries, and the modern U.S. Army. This approach involves comparisons with men whose achievements lie outside of the normal scope of American history. However, even without any knowledge of the particulars of Frederick the Great of Prussia, for example— The mere fact that the comparison can be made helps to explain Grant's importance as a general. Most Americans have an idea about the reputation of the German army. We fought them in two wars. The founder of that army was Frederick the Great, who ruled Prussia from 1740 to 1786, turning it into a great military power. The victorious Prussian army that Frederick created and led became the model for all future German armies. So, too, with the army that Grant led to victory in 1865, Grant demonstrated that an army of civilians could become the best fighting force in the world, as indeed the American army has become. Unlike many of his contemporaries, Grant did not try to establish himself as a military theorist or intellectual, but his achievements resonate with Napoleonic maxims The first and most important being this. In war, delay is fatal. Few, if any, of the other Union generals grasped that point, but Grant did. Similarly, his solutions to military problems tracked the solutions of Wellington and von Moltke, the two most successful generals of their times. He absorbed the basic Napoleonic ideas, and he proved himself able to direct enormous armies on a Napoleonic scale. Indeed, his abilities in this regard greatly exceeded Napoleon's, whose far-flung legions generally floundered without the emperor's personal direction. Both Napoleon and Frederick the Great were monarchs. The former was a despot, the latter a dictator. Like Napoleon's nemesis, the Duke of Wellington, the man who decisively beat him at Waterloo in June 1815, Grant was not only the product of a democracy, but he was deeply committed to the principles on which it was based. Grant's triumphs, then, demonstrate a point often neglected in studies of great generals. Democracies can indeed produce men who can achieve brilliant victories over formidable adversaries, men who also resist the temptation to use the power those victories give them to seek control of the state. Grant, like Wellington and Dwight Eisenhower, was voted into high office by a citizenry that had a clear sense that this was a man who was not just a great leader, but also personified the best ideals of representative democracy. Grant thus exemplifies a tradition that is alive and well in the 21st century in the United States. Generals who want to become the leaders of their country must run for office like everyone else. Grant and Wellington, like Eisenhower in modern times, were morally superior to their counterparts. Each was content to lead their country's armies following the direction of the civilian administration, even though this direction was often muddled and confused. By the end of 1863, Grant was one of the most respected and popular men in American life, and his victories on the battlefield resulted in his name being brought forward as a presidential candidate. His overwhelming victories in the 1868 and 1872 presidential elections make clear that the talk was hardly casual speculation. General George McClellan, former commander of the main Union forces, was assiduously cultivating the Democratic Party and ultimately emerged as their candidate for the 1864 presidential election.